Good morning again. Please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. That will be the sermon text for this morning. That text is also in the back of your bulletin, and Lord willing, will be on the the screen in in just a moment. So as you're turning there, let's just remind ourselves of where we are a bit in Luke's gospel. As we've seen the, the last few weeks, opposition to Jesus has been growing. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, we saw the Pharisees and the scribes accuse Jesus of casting out a demon by the power of Satan. They accuse Jesus of being in league with Satan. Uh, They have have a a ramped up opposition to Jesus, and we see that continuing in our text for this week. Uh, So please follow along as I start reading in verse 37. As he, being Jesus, was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, you love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, you are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and you yourselves do not touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You did not go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, as we come to your word this morning, what is a, a heavy word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to listen. Father, hearts that would be prepared to hear your word and be corrected by it. Father, we pray that uh, your word would truly be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the height of the COVID pandemic in the United States, when all the restrictions were still in place, Uh, Several political leaders in the United States got caught having parties at their home or going to restaurants with a a bunch of friends, basically gathering with large groups of people like they were not supposed to, with no social distancing and no masks. Naturally, as you might expect, these political leaders were accused of hypocrisy. They were being hypocrites. They were not living by the rules that they were forcing everyone else to live by. 
uh, they were giving one set of rules to everyone, and they were living by their own set of rules. Their public statements uh, about COVID safety measures, they did not match their private behavior. Uh, in our verses for this morning, uh, Jesus is not necessarily condemning the political leaders of his day, though the Pharisees and the scribes had much political influence. But he was condemning the religious leaders of his day for their own hypocrisy, a religious hypocrisy, which, to be honest, is, is far more dangerous. Well, just what is hypocrisy? Well, Pastor Kevin DeYoung helpfully provides this long explanation of what Christian hypocrisy particularly is. So please follow along as I read. Now, hypocrisy is the gap between public persona and private character. Hypocrisy is the failure to practice what you preach, appearing outwardly righteous to others while actually being full of uncleanness and self-indulgence. Well, that's the definition of hypocrisy. Now, he goes on to write this. The hypocrite is not the Christian who struggles against sin, fights against temptation, and keeps doing what is right even when he does not feel like it. That is a hero. The hypocrite is the Christian who uses the appearance of public virtue to cover the rot of private wickedness. He's the man living a double life, the woman fooling her friends because she has church clothes, the student who proudly answers the questions in Sunday school and just as proudly delights in immorality the rest of the week. The sin of hypocrisy is not that we are more messed up than we seem. That's true for all of us. The sin is in using the appearance of goodness to cloak the deeds of evil. The sin is in thinking that who others think you are matters a great deal more than whom God knows you to be. So kids, one way that it might be helpful for you to think of hypocrisy is it might look like acting fake or acting in a, in a false way to impress people at school, to get attention or to make friends, perhaps even being willing to, to sin to get those friends, to care more about the opinion of others than the opinion of God. And friends, to, to understand hypocrisy, we also need to understand legalism, because legalism and hypocrisy go hand in hand. Now, legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness or secure favor in the sight of God by their own efforts, by their own good works, to merit God's favor on their own. So legalism is not simply talking about God's commands. God has commanded many things. We are called to obey those things. But legalism particularly thinks that we merit God's favor by our good works, by our efforts. And where legalism exists, hypocrisy is the natural result. Because we want to show or prove our goodness and holiness to others. So in that way, legalism and hypocrisy are just two sides of the, the same coin. And friends, hypocrisy is deadly because it hides private sin behind the, the smokescreen of public virtue. It is the opposite of humility and repentance. And so Jesus' words in our verses this morning are particularly addressed to those who are in positions of spiritual leadership. You might think myself, you might think Pastor Ben. Well, they're directed towards those in spiritual leadership for two reasons. One, 
a hypocrisy is a particular danger for leaders because there is a temptation to want to maintain our reputation and our position. And second, well, the, the hypocrisy of those in leadership has a destructive influence on others. And so this is why Jesus is so hard on the religious leaders of his day. They were leading the people of Israel astray through their own legalism and also through their own hypocrisy. But friends, the truth is that there is a temptation towards hypocrisy in all of us. We are all tempted to care most of all about our outward appearance and to ignore the condition of our hearts. We are tempted to feel secure if others think well of us, even if we are dishonoring God. And so the, the main idea of these verses, and therefore this sermon this morning, is hypocrisy is deadly because it hides sin and it rejects God's grace. Hypocrisy is deadly because it hides sin and it rejects God's grace. I have two points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first is deceiving yourself. It's going to be verses 37 through 44. And the second is deceiving others, which is going to be verses 45 through 54. So first, deceiving yourself. And so as I mentioned a moment ago, in the, the earlier parts of Luke chapter 11, we've seen the opposition to Jesus by the Pharisees growing. They've accused him of being in partnership with Satan. And in response to their opposition, we saw last week that Jesus warned those leaders of the judgment that was coming on them for their spiritual blindness. The judgment that was coming for their rejection of Jesus. Well, at the, the end of that warning from Jesus that we studied last week, we're kind of still in the, the same time frame. One of the Pharisees that had been listening to Jesus speaking invited Jesus to eat with him in his home to continue the discussion. Jesus accepted his invitation, but then Jesus, and I believe Jesus did this intentionally, set up a confrontation with this man by neglecting to perform the ritual washing before sitting down to eat. And just as Jesus expected, uh, this Pharisee was surprised that Jesus did not do the ritual washing. He was bothered by this fact. Now look, before every meal, my wife asks our kids if they have washed their hands because she knows they're probably disgusting. They're kids, we just got a pet turtle, so it's even worse. Uh, but this ritual washing here was not primarily for the purpose of cleanliness. It's something that had become something of a, a religious ritual, not one that was required by God, but one that the religious leaders of Israel had created as a, a way to be extra holy. And so in the, in the Old Testament, there were a number of things that could make one ceremonially or religiously unclean, things that could spiritually defile a person and bar them from the temple and the community until they went through the, the proper process of spiritual cleansing. And so at some point, it seems that the, the religious leaders of Israel decided, well, you know what? Just in case someone has come into contact with one of these things that could make one spiritually unclean, but they didn't know it, well, let's do this ritual washing before we, before we eat. We'll just be on the, the safe side. It was something like a, a mini purification ceremony. Uh, so you might think something like what many of our Muslim friends and neighbors do before they go into to pray. They, they have a, a ceremony that they're going to, to wash and clean themselves before praying. Now, this is something perhaps similar that the people of Israel were doing. 
Jesus took the opportunity of this Pharisee's amazement to rebuke him and then the other Pharisees that were likely also present at the meal. He said that they were more concerned with the outside of the cup and dish than the inside. The cup and dish was not speaking about the things that they were physically eating with. Jesus was speaking of their lives. They were more concerned with the outside of their lives, with outward ritual and outward appearance than the inside, than the condition of their hearts. Now, they, they mistakenly thought that spiritual uncleanness truly comes from the outside. But Jesus was saying something different. No, spiritual defilement, spiritual uncleanness comes from the inside. It comes from the heart. In fact, what it becomes clear as you read through the Bible that all these laws about things that could make Israelites clean and unclean were just teaching them about this reality. Jesus comes along and he declares all foods clean. It wasn't these foods that would make one unclean. He was teaching the Israelites, God was teaching the Israelites that there was a category of clean and unclean so he could teach them about the uncleanness of their hearts. And so all of these extra outward ceremonies, the ritual washing that had been created, well, they had simply become a way for these Pharisees and others to hide the sin of their hearts. They could say, no, we're doing all the outward stuff, and nobody would investigate further. They deceived themselves, and they hid their sin behind the the outward appearance of religion, the, the outward appearance of righteousness. So I used to be in the the military, and during my first year of training in the military, uh, the room that I stayed in, my flat, would sometimes get inspected. You had to be ready to get room inspections. We were required to keep our rooms clean, and we even had to keep the clothes that were in our clothes drawers folded neatly because they might get pulled out and looked at. It didn't take us too many months or too many weeks to figure out that those who inspected the closed drawers did not really look at them all that closely. Uh, so usually when we prepared for a room inspection to save time because there was a lot to do, we just folded the top layer of clothes on our drawer, closed the drawer, and left everything below a mess. Uh, if the inspectors had come and they had done more than just pull out the drawer and they would look underneath, well, they would have seen that that drawer was a huge mess. It looked good on the outside, it looked good on the top, but it was not clean on the inside. Friends, that is what the lives of the Pharisees were like. Outwardly, they made sure to do everything in their power to look righteous. But in reality, the drawer of their lives was a mess, full of sin and evil, pride and greed. They were spiritually defiled. Look at, look at verse 42. The Pharisees tithe a tenth of, of even mint and rue and every kind of, of small herb. But they neglected justice and love for God. Friends, there was, there was nothing wrong with tithing on all these, these small little herbs, maybe the small plants that they were growing by the windows of their home. But it was perhaps taking the Old Testament command to to tithe a tenth of the crops to the extreme. It might be something like one of you picking up one of the cookies that we sometimes have on the table on the outside and just to appear extra holy, breaking off a tenth of it and and dropping it in the offering bag as it comes around each week. Kids, don't do that, please. Um, Well, Jesus told him it it was fine 
if they wanted to tithe on those herbs. But they were hypocrites for doing that and ignoring far more important matters like love of God and justice for others. They were giving a tenth of their cookies, but they were ignoring their starving neighbors. That's what's going on. And so in verse 41, Jesus told them that to give that they should give from within, and then they would be clean. Again, Jesus was teaching that true righteousness, true righteousness comes from the inside out. Righteousness is not not created by piling up more and more rules. No, it comes from a, a transformed heart, a regenerated heart, a heart that has been changed by God. And then... Out works out from the inside out. More rules do not create more righteousness. A heart transformed by God will give freely to the poor. It will seek justice. In every situation, it will ask, how can I love God and love my neighbor? Well, thus, if the, the Pharisees gave from within, and that phrase in verse 41 is key, if they were to give from within, if they gave from their hearts, It would lead to a care for the poor. It would lead to to justice, which would be evidence of true righteousness. Friends, the obedience that pleases the Lord is the obedience of the heart. The obedience that pleases the Lord is obedience of the heart. And so, friends, we must be so careful to make sure that religious ritual does not become a, a substitute for true love of God and neighbor. And this is so dangerous because it is simply the way of the world. Every other religion on earth other than Christianity teaches that outward rituals and actions are far more important than your heart. That the outward appearance is what matters most of all. And friends, this is very much a danger for Christianity as well. It is very much a danger for the church. It is very much a danger for you as well. Just ask yourself if, if, if any of these things sound familiar. The more of your free time that is devoted to serving the church, the more holy you are. How you dress, especially when you come to church, is a sign of holiness. How much you, you raise your hands in, in, in worship or, or cry when you pray is a sign of godliness. Friends, there is nothing wrong with raising your hands in worship. Certainly nothing wrong with dressing up to church. Certainly nothing wrong if you are serving the church, volunteering your time for the church. But when these outward things become the measure of holiness, the primary measure of someone's relationship with the Lord, the way that we earn favor with God, there is great danger. I mean, hypocrisy is quick to enter in as people seek simply to meet the outward standards and ignore their hearts. And friends, just think of the think of the elaborate rituals and traditions and liturgies of some churches. There is a great danger of an elaborate show and elaborate traditions that simply become empty ritual and a mask that covers the sin within. And so brothers and sisters, be careful not to let external ritual become a cover for the evil of your heart. Be careful that your public prayer does not become a mask that covers your lack of personal prayer. 
Be careful that your outward service for the church is not a cover to neglect the work of your heart. Be careful that your abundant Bible knowledge does not become a cover for your private failure to live it out. Brothers and sisters, pray particularly that that would not be something that would be true of myself or Pastor Ben. There's great danger in that. Do not boast about not having premarital sex as a cover for your private pornography usage. Be careful that your public kindness towards others is not a mask for your private anger at home. And friends, you also need to be careful that you do not seek the honor and esteem of man rather than God. That was the problem of the Pharisees. It's not the praise of man rather than God. Look again at verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. At the end of the day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day cared more about being publicly honored by others than they cared about honoring the Lord. They wanted people other people to praise them as the most holy, righteous, and respectable members of the society. Their rules were designed to bring them honor, not God, to maintain their position in society, not their place in the kingdom of heaven. They were designed to feed their pride rather than nurturing their humility. Brothers and sisters, we are often all too happy to do whatever is necessary to keep the esteem of our fellow man. We often so desire the approval of others that we are far more interested in in vigorously scrubbing and polishing the outside of our lives so we look good to others than we're interested in doing the deep cleaning of our heart. And friends, that's simply pride. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the pleasure of pride is like the pleasure of scratching. If there is an itch, one does want to scratch, but it is much nicer to have neither the itch nor the scratch. As long as we have the itch of self-regard, we shall want the pleasure of self-approval. Friends, the, the, the difficult thing with hypocrisy is that it is so easy for us to be blind to it. It is so easy for us to deceive ourselves, to think that we're truly doing something for, for God when we're really doing it for the, for the praise of others. And if we're being honest, I think we question whether Jesus is being overly harsh in these verses. He's invited over for dinner, and he starts pronouncing woes on his host and all the others that are present. I mean, a woe is something of a curse. It is a severe warning of God's coming judgment on someone. Friends, Jesus was doing this to wake them up to their hypocrisy, to wake them up to their self-deception, to expose the filthiness of their hearts that they might turn in repentance and find his grace and his mercy. And friends, we have a, a high capacity we have a high capacity for self-deception. And that is why we need to be constantly reformed by the word of God. If, if you want to avoid hypocrisy, you must allow the word of God to penetrate and expose your heart. 
You must regularly confess your, your sin to the Lord and even your sin to others, not hide it behind the screen of religious ritual. Friends, if you cannot remember the last time you felt any conviction from the Word of God, or if you cannot remember the last time you confessed your sin to the Lord or to someone else, perhaps you need to ask if you've been busy scrubbing the outside of the dish and ignoring the inside. And that brings us to verse 44. The danger of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees was not just that they had deceived themselves. It was that they were deceiving others. So according to the Old Testament, touching a dead body or even a grave would make one spiritually unclean, impure. It was one of those things that was the, the outward side of uncleanness. It would make someone spiritually defiled. And so Jesus was saying in verse 44 that those who came into contact with the Pharisees' teaching were like those who walked over unmarked graves. They did not realize it, but they were touching a grave, something unclean. They were being spiritually defiled by listening to the teaching of the Pharisees. They were being led astray, made unclean, becoming defiled on the inside. They were headed for death and destruction, but they did not know it. And that brings us to the, the second point of the sermon, deceiving others. I look again, starting in verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves do not touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You did not go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. As Jesus was speaking these woes against the Pharisees that were present, an expert in the law, a, a lawyer spoke up. This would not be somebody who was an expert in the like uh, nation's laws, but in the, the spiritual laws, an expert in the Old Testament law. So the experts in the law, the scribes, they were very similar to the Pharisees, but they were the ones who kind of helped create the system of laws and external regulations. The ones who were responsible for knowing them inside and out. Well, this expert in the law spoke up and told Jesus, like, you know what, you're kind of insulting me here. Uh, this sounds a, a, a little bit personal. Well, this man was blind in his true condition. And he did not think that the problem could possibly be with him. He was, Jesus was threatening his honor before others, and so he wanted to defend himself. Friends, if, if you're quick to defend yourself every time that you are correct, corrected, whenever something from a sermon hits a little too close to home, whenever something you read from the Bible makes you a little uncomfortable, and it may be a sign that you desire the praise of man more than the 
honor that comes from God. Maybe a sign that you're not really coming to God's word to learn and be changed, but simply to justify yourself. Again, Jesus did not want to leave this man in his hypocrisy. He wanted to expose it. So Jesus rebuked him, not just for his own hypocrisy, but for the ways in which his hypocrisy, as one of the religious leaders of Israel, was leading others astray. And friends, that is the real danger of man-made religion, of man-made rules and regulations, of man-made standards of righteousness, of legalism. It leads others to work and work and work to keep all these external rules to the neglect of Jesus and to the neglect of their own hearts. And so Jesus said, Woe also to you experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry. And yet you yourselves do not touch these burdens with one of your fingers. And friends, these, these rules, that these rules, this system of rules that had been created were virtually impossible to keep. And here are just two examples of the man-made rules these experts in the law had created to govern the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you could only tie a knot that could be untied with one hand. A person was not allowed to throw up an object and also catch it, because the catching of that object would be work. And that would be forbidden on the Sabbath. And these are two of like hundreds of rules of this sort. They were endless rules like that. But friends, the burden of these rules was not just that they were virtually impossible to keep or or virtually impossible to even know them all. But the burden was because the Pharisees and the, the scribes told the people that their standing with God was dependent on keeping them all. It was through law keeping that they could find favor with God. Well, friends, God's law will always seem like a burden until you, are real, until you realize that you are saved by grace and not through law-keeping. God's law will always seem like a burden until you realize you are saved by faith and God's grace and not by law-keeping. It will be a burden until you realize that God, not you, provides the strength to obey That is why he gives you new hearts and gives you his spirit. You cannot keep the law of God in your own strength. Friends, when you try to please God through your own efforts, his law will be a burden. But when you understand his grace, it will be a delight. Friends, if reading through Psalm 119, where David highlights the blessings of the law of God and all of his rules, just sounds foreign to you, you might want to ask yourself if you're trying to please the Lord through your own efforts. And you're not rejoicing in his grace. Friends, legalism, legalism is not just telling people what God commands. There are a lot of commands in scripture. We are called to keep those. Legalism is not telling you about God's commands. Legalism is saying that this is how you're justified, by how well you keep his commands. No, as we just sang about, we are justified by Jesus Christ. We rest in his righteousness, not our own. We're saved by faith. And we must understand that or God's law will be averted. And so these experts in the law had loaded up an enormous weight of rules that were virtually impossible to keep. And yet they told people that God's favor came down to how well they kept them. And friends, if any of you grew up in a very legalistic environment, 
whether in church or at your home, this may sound familiar. There was so much emphasis placed on how you look and how well you dressed and how well you behaved when you were out in public, how well you kept very specific standards of behavior. But no matter what you did, it was never good enough. Well, the, these experts in the law laid these burdens on the backs of the people, but they did nothing to help them meet these standards. They were like a boss who gives his employees an impossible deadline to meet, and yet does nothing to help them meet it, does not pitch in with the work. And they didn't lift a finger to help. And the truth is that they could not, because they themselves did not have the power to produce the obedience that they required. The inside of their own lives was filthiness, and they could not produce in their own power the change of heart that was required to keep the law of God, to find his pleasure. And so, friends, what I want you to see here is that at the heart of their hypocrisy, at the center of this legalistic system of rules and regulations, was a lack of grace. They were happy, they were happy to load up burdens, but unwilling to help the people carry them, unwilling and unable. And friends, a lack of grace is at the center of all man-made religion, all legalistic religion. Legalism says I am saved by what I do. My worth is based on how well I perform. God's love for me is dependent on how well I obeyed that day. I earn favor with God and others through my actions. Therefore, hypocrisy is quick to enter in because we are justified based on our works. We can never admit that we do not measure up. We have to keep up appearances. It's the only thing we know. And so again, hypocrisy and legalism are just two sides of the same coin, and neither one of them understand God's grace. Therefore, hypocrites and those who are legalistic are quick to condemn those who do not meet their standards of righteousness. They are quick to judge those who struggle with sins that they themselves do not struggle with. But they're quick to overlook their own sins. Hypocrites are quick to harshly judge those who struggle with sins that they once struggled with, but no longer do. They love to feel superior. Again, to go back to C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking continuously about the sins of others. Friends, this, this again may sound familiar to many of you if you come from a legalistic tradition, a legalistic family, a legalistic church, in which those who were guilty of certain sins, maybe sexual immorality, were publicly shamed and basically shunned, permanently stained. If the serious sins of those who were in leadership were simply swept under the rug, if there was not a culture of a regular confession of sin, or if your church and family were not a safe place to confess sin because you would simply be judged or shamed, if the preaching you heard week after week simply loudly and forcefully and perhaps harshly proclaimed another rule that you must follow, something else that you must do, but did not also proclaim God's grace that both forgives you when you fall short and then strengthens you to obey the next time. Friends, there is a, a sense in which some might say that I'm a hypocrite each and every week I stand up here and preach to you. I mean, hear this clearly. I am a sinner, and I do not come close 
to perfectly doing all the things that I tell you that God calls you to do. And there would simply be nothing to preach about if I could only preach about those things that I lived out perfectly. But friends, this is only hypocrisy. It is only hypocrisy if I do not also point to you, point you to the grace of God. I do not also point you to the grace of God. If I do not also make it clear that I am a sinner in need of that grace, that I also fall short, that I am not justified by my own righteousness, I am justified just like you by the grace of God. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so my goal and my hope is that I do not just get up here each and every week and preach to you about what you need to do, or make you feel guilty about all the ways that you have failed and, and fallen short. That is necessary. God gives commands. I need to tell you what God calls you to do. We need to read his word. We all need the conviction of sin as well. It needs to be pointed out to us how we fall short. We need conviction. We need encouragement to holiness. Friends, it would simply be legalistic and hypocritical to stop there. My goal is to also encourage you with the hope of the gospel. With the fact that you cannot live up to God's standards. But there is forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. With the fact that you cannot live up to God's standard on your own, but God has given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he has indwelled you by his Spirit to strengthen you to obey. With the truth that Jesus has taken your sin and your shame, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, legalism and hypocrisy do not understand grace. And so those who are hypocrites pile on burden of rule after rule and heap mountains of guilt and shame on those who fall short. But friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is not like that. Jesus did not place any burdens on us that he himself was unwilling to bear. We, we are unable, we were unable to fulfill the good and righteous law of God. But what did Jesus do? Friends, he fulfilled it on your behalf. He lived the perfect life that you were unable to live, that you were unwilling to live, that you might receive his perfect righteousness. And friends, on the cross, Jesus took your burden of sin upon himself. If you have repented, and if you have replaced your faith in Jesus Christ, he has paid the penalty for each and every time that you have failed to live up to God's standard. He bore your guilt, and he took your shame. Therefore, as John 3.18 says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Friends, Jesus came to relieve burdens, not to add to them. He says this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus invites you to cast your burdens on him. He says his yoke is easy. He says that his burden is light. But Jesus does call you to a life of obedience, a life of holiness, a life of righteousness. These are important Friends, in doing that, he calls you to follow his example. He is no hypocrite. And he gives you a new heart that you might obey. 
Friends, Jesus understands grace. He is grace. And he gives his grace abundantly. He freely offers forgiveness and restoration when you fall short. Friends, the yoke of Jesus is easy. And the burden of Jesus is light. And so, friends, if you are carrying around the burden of sin this morning, the burden of shame, the burden of just feeling like you can never measure up, then let me invite you to come and find your rest in Jesus Christ this morning. Cast your burdens on Him. Confess your sin. Admit that you do fall short, that you do not measure up. That's why you need Jesus. Place your faith on Him. Receive His perfect righteousness. We find favor with God because God is pleased in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when we are united to Jesus Christ, we find the favor that He gives to His Son, Jesus. So cast your burdens on Jesus Christ. Confess and turn from your sins and place your faith in Him. And church, let me encourage you that if Jesus invites us to cast our burdens on him, if Jesus offers forgiveness to those who confess their sins, friends, we want to be a a place that it's safe for people to cast off their burdens and to confess their sins. Friends, the, the church is not called to shame and to shun those who confess their sins, but to offer them grace and mercy. Why? Friends, because we know that we are not saved by our works. It is not our works that saves us. We are not saved because we are extra holy. We are not saved by our own efforts, our own righteousness. No, we are sinners who have been saved by grace, which is a gift of God. We do not deserve it, and we did not earn it. And therefore, because God has given us his grace, we should extend his grace to others. Friends, the the danger of legalism and hypocrisy is that it encourages people to hide their sins. It encourages people to put up a false front. It discourages people from confessing their sin because they'll know that they will be met with shame and condemnation instead of love and grace. And friends, if we lead people to hide their sins, we lead them to their destruction. Parents, this is why it's so important for you to build a culture of mercy and grace and forgiveness in your own home. Be careful not to load up your children with burdens they cannot bear and with burdens that you do nothing to help them carry. Offer them grace and mercy and forgiveness when they sin. Friends, be quick to confess your own sins to your children so that they know you are a sinner in need of a Savior as well. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't teach your kids to hide their sin. Because if you do, you are leading them to their destruction. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Friends, as we sang just a few moments ago, Jesus' grace is marvelous. Jesus' grace is greater than your sin. And you can become a recipient of his grace if you listen to him, submit to him, and follow him. This is what Jesus condemned the experts in the law and the other religious leaders of not doing in the woe he pronounces in verses 47 through 51. Jesus was again rebuking these religious leaders for their hypocrisy. 
Previous generations of Israelites had hated the word of the Lord brought by the prophets of God. Those previous generations had rejected the messages of the prophets, and they had mistreated and even killed many of God's prophets that had come before. But what were the Pharisees and the experts in the law of Jesus' day doing? Well, in a very public way, designed to bring them honor, they were going out and decorating the tombs of these very same prophets that their fathers or their ancestors had killed. They were pretending as if they were the ones that truly honored these prophets, that they were righteous. The problem was that it was all just a big show. Just like their fathers or ancestors had done, they rejected the message. And if you want evidence of that, just look down in verses 53 and 54. When Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. Friends, Jesus, the one who is greater than all the prophets who came before. Jesus, the one to whom all the prophets pointed. Their messages were pointing to Jesus. What did the scribes and the Pharisees do to him? They rejected him and opposed him, and they eventually killed him. In verse 49, Jesus said that after his death, God would send even more prophets and apostles that would similarly be rejected. Just go read through Acts and see that the heavy persecution of the early church. Therefore, Jesus said that the Pharisees or that generation would be held responsible for all the blood of the prophets from the foundation of the world. That didn't mean that those who persecuted the prophets in previous generations were going to be off the hook, but that the rejection of Jesus in that generation was the culmination of all the rejection of the prophets that come before. It was the height of the rejection of the grace of God. Friends, rejecting Jesus Christ is ultimately what brings the wrath of God. And God's judgment for the, re- for the rejection of Jesus Christ will be severe. I look at verse 52. The final woe Jesus pronounces is that they had taken away the keys of knowledge from the people of Israel. This is a way of saying that they were hindering people from entering the kingdom of God. But they were not part of the kingdom of God themselves. And they were hindering others from entering in. They were distracting people and burdening them with this huge list of man-made rules. They were teaching people that righteousness and holiness and salvation were ultimately earned by their own efforts and do not come as a free gift of God's grace. And then they were disillusioning people with their hypocrisy. And who wants to follow God if those who are supposedly the closest to him are such hypocrites? Because that's a warning to the, the church and those in positions of spiritual authority. Your example can lead people to Jesus, or your example can lead people away. Friends, it is not hypocrisy to be a sinner. We are all sinners. But it is hypocrisy to pretend that you are not a sinner and not extend God's grace to others. So these verses are a warning to you to listen to the message of Jesus, to confess your sin, to care more about the honor of God than the honor and praise of men to give up your own self-righteousness, and to throw yourself at the foot of the cross. My friends, this is the only way that you can become recipients of God's marvelous gift of grace. If you want to be with Jesus, you must stop trying to put on a good outward show and using religious observances and rituals to cover up and to hide the sin of your heart. You must come to Jesus in humble faith, confessing your sin and crying out for mercy. 
Friends, if you do this, you have Jesus' promise from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray.